We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation, as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction, starring score baseball insider Bruce Levine and half of Chicago's number one sports morning show, David Haw, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, a radio.com sports Sports Station, presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Good Saturday morning, Chicago. We are broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios, and welcome to a Thanksgiving weekend edition of Inside the Clubhouse, where we are very grateful to be talking baseball 52 weeks a year every Saturday morning here, 9 to 11, with Bruce Levine, David Haw. And if you think you were busy checking your lists and looking for deals Friday, now you know how Jed Hoyer and Rick Hahn feel. It is shopping season, Bruce. Good morning. Good morning, David. And uh, you're right. We are thankful for a lot of things, including mostly uh, the great Chicago baseball fans and our great listeners here on The Score and inside the clubhouse. And David, nice to have you back this week uh, after taking a, a rest week next last week, uh, last weekend. And uh, we have a lot to get to uh, in a, a very uh, quick hour and a half today as we have Ohio State at Michigan starting at 1030. So uh, if if you want to get forward to that one, Bruce, I know you are waiting with bated breath. Ohio State, Michigan, the winner, the coach gets to coach the Bears. Uh, That's right. I was going to (laughs) say, I was going to say we are in a Bears free zone, though, Bruce. We are going to talk baseball. We're going to give people a break from the Bears' angst for two hours or at least 90 minutes. And here we go because, you know what, there was a ton going on and there's a ton to talk about Cubs and Sox-wise. You know, the Mets didn't sign everybody last night. They, they spent $125 million on three different players. Sterling Marte, the guy who was the, probably the biggest name that went to the Mets. But free agency is here and the White Sox ushered in the beginning of the hot stove league this past week Kendall Graveman good signing for the White Sox bullpen are you surprised Bruce that they went that route with their first big move uh no I'm not uh as a matter of fact uh, it it made a lot of sense David because of the fact that when they uh when they took the option year from uh Craig Kimbrell and uh gave him the 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 one year option at 16 million dollars uh you know Rick Hahn told us directly that Part of this uh, would be to possibly keep him, but more likely uh, to explore the trade area for somebody like the Philadelphia Phillies or 
a team like that that's going to need a, uh, a a top top of the line closer, and uh, that is certainly what Kimbrel was for the Chicago Cubs. He was not a top of the line setup man for the Chicago White Sox. So the thinking is is the stuff is still there, the mentality is still there, but only in the case of being a guy who is uh, somebody that uh, closes and. He wants to be a closer. Somebody needs a closer like that. And the White Sox, um, certainly by uh, adding Graveman, uh, fill that role and now look for other players to uh, get in a trade for Kimbrell. 312-644-6767. What do you think about the Hot Stove League? What do the Cubs and White Sox need to do in free agency or maybe via trade? Bruce, there's a lot we want to get to, but I do want to start out with Graveman, and then we'll get into other things, kind of get your quick opinions on them in a bullet point fashion because there's been a lot going on. There's been a lot of baseball news that we have not necessarily focused on. But let's stick with Graveman for a second because when you look at this White Sox bullpen, you know as well as anybody, year to year, the volatility and unpredictability of a bullpen is something that you can't always count on. Graveman's a guy that in 2021 was lights out. He was reliable as they come for the Astros at the back end of that bullpen. How does he fit the White Sox plans, and, and do you think that they can count on him to maintain that kind of consistency? Well, you know, that's a great question because there have been uh, gaps in his career. There's been injuries in his career, so... With that in mind, uh, his dominance with Seattle last year before he was traded to Houston was, uh, you know, it was one of the great stories in baseball. And uh, and Graveman right now looks like that power pitcher, strikeout per inning guy, uh, low ERA, a 96, 97 mile an hour sinker, David. Uh, not not the uh, four seamer, but the two seamer that is getting everybody out. He's got a, a great slider that he gets out swing and miss a pitch that 45% of the time is not is not uh, connected with. So w- with all that in mind, um, this seems to be a, a great ad for them at three years and $24 million. Uh, $8 million for a setup man per year is a very reasonable price these days. If you see what uh, pitchers are getting on the open market, you see fourth and fifth starters now getting 12 to $15 million a year. So that's that's the price for really good pitching right now. It suggests that when you pay, even though it is a good price, when you invest $24 million on a bullpen arm, it suggests that your priorities are maybe in the bullpen. If you that is your first move, is that a misread, Bruce? Because I think a lot of people, they look at this offseason, as you have pointed out time and again, right field, second base, starting pitching, and then maybe we thought they would supplement the bullpen. They start out by supplementing the bullpen. Should we read too much into that? No, I, I think that you'll see more. I, I think that they're going to bring in even more arms because what is the game right now, David? The game is a shortened starting uh, rotation, shortened innings. And the White Sox were one of the, uh, the league leaders in starting pitching innings, uh, in particular the first half of the season. Uh I think that the White Sox are looking at the situation and going, maybe we need to back off, especially on some of our veteran starting pitchers, some of the innings load, and maybe that impacted us as we went down the stretch last year so that uh, the injury and uh, and the innings load doesn't impact uh, the starting pitchers quite as much as it did last year where you, you had injuries which you can't really defend against, but you can defend against uh 
inning loads of 110, 112 pitches in the first couple months of the season. Now they have horses and they have guys that are very good at throwing, uh, you know, six innings and throwing 100, 110 pitches. But is it necessary if you have a bullpen full of solid arms that can get the job done and save them for the end of the year when you need them the most, and that them being the starting pitchers? Point well taken. Before we get on to the Cubs news, Bruce, because you look, uh, Garrett Crochet, I think, is undefined in terms of his role for 2022. Michael Kopech, we know, as you point out, is, is already going to be one of those starters where they're going to ask to maybe pitch more innings. is not likely to come back. Kimbrell's on the trade block. You can't really count on guys maybe that haven't done it before in your minor league system to come up and do it in a high-leverage situation. You are a World Series contender. So maybe you're right, and I think maybe the White Sox aren't done trying to get another piece uh, that they can trust, a veteran piece in that bullpen to kind of put a guy – in his position to succeed where, you know, you want to have, you want to keep a strength of strength. And you've got Bummer and you've got Hendricks and you've got all those things, but you cannot let that become a weakness for the White Sox. Right. And maybe Keiko becomes a, a tradable piece um, to somebody who needs a veteran left-hander, um, maybe a little bit more than the Chicago White Sox do. So e- even if you have to eat a portion of that contract a little bit, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that they have them, directly on the open market, but, but why not? You know, when you have, when you have crochet and you have um, Michael Kopech knocking on the door of starting pitching and, uh, and building their innings up in that fashion, you know, we're, we're going to see most likely, as you said, uh, Kopech a starting pitcher and crochet kind of going into that hybrid role uh, that we saw um, Kopech in last year, expanded out and, and maybe getting, four, five, six starts during the year. So th- this is a part of the uh, player development, pitching development that the White Sox have uh, out there. And I, I think uh, the more the merrier when it comes to uh, you know power arms in the bullpen for the White Sox. Looking at the Cubs, Bruce, certainly not a move that created as big of a headline, and certainly maybe not even on the front page of the sports section, but tucked inside page three, maybe in a smaller headline font, it was signing... Go- Harold Ramirez, the 27-year-old outfielder from the Indians, a right-handed hitter. How does he fit into the Cubs' plans? Is this a depth piece? Do you expect much? He's not, he's, he's not been in the majors for that long. This is only his third season. But um, somebody that uh, maybe Carter Hawkins, the new general manager, was familiar with, certainly coming from the Indians. How does he fit? Well, they needed depth. You, you identified it perfectly, David. Uh, they need depth in the outfield, and, and they need – they need some uh, slug in the outfield. I mean, look, uh, we saw we saw the slug come on late in the year, finally for Ian Happ after you know almost four months of of doing absolutely nothing. He was one of the uh, better hitters in the in the major leagues in the last month and a half. But you know, counting on that and and trying to get full seasons out of a, a guy with that type of potential is very difficult. You saw nothing out of uh, Hayward last year he had a probably his worst year in the major leagues and then ending the season with a concussion syndrome um you know you certainly got uh you know or you know ortega gave you a nice uh push uh, a surprising push but are you really going to count on that as your uh, center fielder or outfielder of the future so they need outfield depth they need an awful lot of it right now and uh, this Ramirez won't be the last one that they try to add. 
All right, Bruce, so looking at free agency, because I think that's where everybody's attention gets uh, at this time of year, and especially busy Friday in baseball. You know, you look at what the Mets did. Starling Marte, Mark Canna, and Eduardo Escobar go to the Mets. That's $125 million in investments. And what happens is the domino effect. So we have the domino effect probably impacting the pursuit for those the, the, the shortstop market. Obviously, Javi Baez was a, was a Met last year. Doesn't look like he might be returning to New York. The Tigers are in on Javi Baez. More than one report yesterday nationally linked the Tigers to Javi Baez. That certainly affects maybe the Cubs' offseason plans and maybe affects the White Sox in an indirect way because the Tigers are loading up. What do you know about the Tigers' pursuit of Javi, and what do you think about that fit? Well, I, I think it's a pretty good fit, uh, and uh, I, I think that Baez, um, if you look at him and you look at his second half last year, and you, you kind of forget the nightmarish first half he had with the Cubs last year, which was kind of ugly, especially uh, on defense, where you had a gold glove shortstop come in and make a ton of errors early in the season, not look like himself, having to been, uh, have to be taken out of a game for losing track of outs and getting doubling up. It just didn't look like uh, he was responding very well to being a, a would-be free agent or would-be a trade piece. Uh, but when he went to the Mets, he, he did ex- exceedingly well, uh, played a great second base. And, uh, you know, that versatil- versatility of being an all-star uh, shortstop or second baseman and uh, the fact that he's going to play at age uh, 29 this year uh, you know, that, that says everything you want to hear about a guy that's not looking for a 10-year contract. I don't think we've heard anything attached to uh, him like we have for Correa and Seeger, who are seeking, you know, 10-year, $300 million contracts. I think when you look at Baez, he might be, you know, the best option for a lot of teams out there, and Detroit is certainly one of them who are starting to build uh, their offense and uh, – we saw how their their pitching is coming along and the fact that uh, they might be uh, the, the leading team to fight the White Sox uh, this season in the American League Central. In this offseason game of musical chairs where you have a bunch of shortstops circling and you have Corey Seager and Carlos Correa, and if Javi Baez takes the seat and it's the Tigers and it's in Detroit, how might that affect other teams or the marketplace, specifically the Cubs, and not that they were necessarily pursuing Javi, but maybe that makes Carlos Correa less likely to sign with the Tigers, obviously. Maybe it makes him more likely to be attainable if you are willing to go that deep into your pocketbook, Bruce. Does it have any effect on the Cubs in their pursuit of a shortstop if they are indeed pursuing a shortstop? Yeah, I mean, look, um, we, we keep hearing from the Cubs that they will be active. They do have money. But how many times have we heard... Uh, from the front office, uh, we have to be intelligent about our moves. So, David, I will ask you, what does intelligent mean when they talk about signing free agents but being intelligent? What, what do you hear from Hoyer and from ownership and uh, from their new general manager when you hear, yeah, yes, we will, but we must be intelligent? I hear the, the desire to be prudent and to get get bang for your buck, to be obviously in, in search of those bargains where you can get the most out of your investment. But I also think intelligent doesn't necessarily mean reluctant to spend. I think sometimes being intelligent is understanding the marketplace and where you are 
as a franchise and sometimes the reality that you have to overspend maybe in free agency at times in your growth and times of your development because that's what you need at that specific time because this is the time for the Cubs, I think may have to look at a guy like Correa, may have to look at a guy like Seager. And if they are attainable, the intelligent thing to do is to justify that investment and, and to maybe go higher than you would want to go because at this point in time, you need a guy like that. You need to tell the fans you're serious about winning. You need to guy, give them a reason to come to Wrigley Field again. And I'm not so sure, uh, Bruce, that when you look at what intelligence represents, it's not always meaning just the cheaper route. The smarter route may be to go big or go home. What do you What do you think about Baez coming back? How do you think I that like would that be? I don't like that idea. Well, tell, tell me why. Tell me why the I've fan base wouldn't like it. I've never liked that idea, it. Bruce. Okay. Well, and, and I like Javi Baez as a player, but I don't know how you fix a broken offense and you change your approach by bringing back somebody who represented the worst of times with his swing and miss and his lack of plate discipline. And I know he was great, and I love everything about Javi, the exciting player, but I don't know that you are making progress by bringing somebody back that represents something you're trying to get away from. I think that's a great point. Uh, and, and again, somebody else can underpay Javier Baez better than the Cubs can. In other, in other words, the expectations here were always you must play, pay market value for Javier Baez because he's been a Cub since 2011. Now that is all gone away. Does the Baez camp look at the Cubs differently now, knowing that he's already been traded somewhere else? and that the expectations of what he should get as a Cub are no longer there? I think so. Don't you? I, I think they have to. I, I don't think you give them necessarily uh, what you might have before in terms of a hometown discount. I don't think that you're willing to do that um, or make that kind of concession because the Cubs now, they traded you, so they're like everybody else. They put themselves back into the pool with every other team that wants your services if they indeed want your services, which I'm not sure they do yet. But we'll wait and see, but I think they're just like everybody else. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I don't know if Baez does represent the type of player that they want in the future, and that does that's not demeaning Baez because his talents are many and unique in very many ways. But the swing and miss and the lack of on-base percentage is probably some area that they're, they're probably trying to shore up rather than go back to what it was. That's what we think. What do you think? 312-644-6767. The score listener line is powered by BetQL. Bet smarter, beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. That's where we find Jack in Hillside. Jack, welcome to Inside the Clubhouse. Uh, thanks. Good morning. Uh, fellas, uh, Bruce, uh, I've been listening the last few weeks, and uh, I, you know, I'm totally in disagreement about the White Sox uh, needing an outfielder at all, and I think they've probably could be fine with if they re-signed uh, Cesar Hernandez or someone adequate at second base, since there's no chance they'll ever do something like move Tim Anderson to second base and go get a real shortstop like Carlos Correa. That's not on the table. So I agree with you about adding to the bullpen and the pitching. What what would be the value of, a, of spending some of that money on a upgrade for backup catching to take some of the load, and they end up being so important for veteran guys like uh, Maldonado was, I think Cleveland's Perez, or you know, to get these guys who manage to stick 
and can really help the pitching staff by by easing that load on Grandal. What do you think about yeah, that? Thanks, Jack, and happy holidays to you. Uh, look, uh, David, I like the idea of Perez. I like the idea of a veteran uh, back, a backstop that can catch 70 games. And uh, if there is an injury again uh, to Grandal, that you're, you're not concerned about it and that you don't lose as much defensively. And that's it's not a knock on Collins. It's not a knock on Zavala. But I think the reality of those guys being uh, top-flight major league catchers, I, I think that we saw last year that, that that's probably not going to be what they are going to be. And with Grandal's age and his importance of being in the middle of that lineup with that uh, switch hitting, but most importantly, left-handed bat, uh, that power bat, you've yep. got to find a way to keep him strong. And uh, I agree and with if, you. Right. And if you don't like the defensive metrics on him other than the framing, uh, you need to get a, a top-flight uh, catcher. Perez might be the guy. It's a tough balancing act, but I think we saw in the postseason, specifically with the Astros, just the value of a defensive catcher and how he, you know, uh, handling the staff and everything that comes with those intangibles. You kind of need that more than maybe the White Sox have at the moment, and right, certainly a right. veteran backup would be great. We uh, saw it on Bruce. the other side of town too, David, yeah. uh, all year yeah. long when when. Uh, when Contreras wasn't in a game, the game spun out of control. There was no there was no captain on that field to make people feel like I got this behind the plate. I'll throw the guys out if they get on. I'll come out there and give every every pitcher the feeling that we're all in this together. Uh, Cubs lost a lot of games where Wilson Contreras couldn't catch, and and those uh, eight other backups, with all due respect to them, professionally. <laughs> Just we're not getting the job done. So, so th- that's a glaring example of what can happen to you if you don't have top quality catching. And Bruce, that's a good segue into the Cubs catching situation. You mentioned Wilson Contreras, and I wondered what you think of this. Unfortunately, one of their top catching prospects, Miguel Amaya, who was their fifth-rated prospect, is is set to undergo Tommy John surgery, which will set his development back. That's a big blow for the organization. He was a, a guy that you thought might be ready at this point, and he may be somebody that now you have to reevaluate what your timetable is and maybe what your priorities are at that position. How does that affect, not necessarily his development, because I know everybody understands Tommy John surgery recovery, even for catchers, but Wilson Contreras contractually, does, does that make him more likely or less likely or have no effect at all on his possibility of getting an extension this offseason? It's a great question because if you do extend Wilson Contreras, you, you have to leave the option available to be able to trade him, okay? So that that is a key, and that might be something that Contreras and his camp balk at. Uh, they might get the money, but if they don't get that uh, assurance that they're going to be around for quite a bit of time – with the Cubs, that might prevent them from wanting to sign and hold him off until next year to sign a, a long-term deal. So uh, I think the key is signing the proper deal for Contreras, keeping him around, but also having the flexibility to trade him if you want to a, as you move forward. Because I, I still get that feeling, David, and I don't know if you feel the same way, that there's still some doubt when it comes to Wilson Contreras as being the long-term catcher for the Cubs in their mind. I, I just you sense don't... that? Yeah. yeah. I, I think you do sense that. That's an accurate read. 
I don't know that I have the doubt, Bruce. I don't know how you feel about it, but I think when you have the Cubs and you've got rid of all the players you've gotten rid of, you've got to you got to anchor on somebody. You you got to you got to really invest in somebody to be that leader to build around, and you could do a lot worse than Wilson Contreras. Well, he he represented two different areas. And before we go to a break and uh, bring in our next guest, which is uh, Daniel Moscos, who's the new assistant pitching coach for the Chicago Cubs. And and David, very quickly before we go to break, he re- he represents two things. One guy that stood up against uh, the guys who were going to be traded or possible free agents and said, let's play ball here and stop this. And another side who represents an emotional guy that for some people may be too emotional. Yeah, yeah. But somewhere in between, you've got a leader. And somewhere in between, you've got a winner. And you have a guy with experience that can do a lot of things defensively and certainly offensively. He is somebody that you can win with. I think that has been proven. So that will be an ongoing conversation. Wilson Contreras and his Cub future in light of the Miguel Amaya news, in light of the free agency and offseason hot stove, which seems to be heating up. But next, Bruce, as you alluded to, we have the Cubs' new assistant pitching coach, Daniel Moscos, joins us next on Inside the Clubhouse here, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Hendricks works his motion. Swing and a miss. Another 88-mile-per-hour fastball right down the middle. And it fooled Perez, strike three, one away. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, Bruce Levine, David Haw here until 11 o'clock as we are every Saturday morning. That was a highlight from Zach Zabin and WSCR. Thank you, guys. Of Kyle Hendricks earlier last season pitching for the Cubs. And it is time now to go to our guest hotline sponsored by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, and that is where we find new Cubs assistant pitching coach Daniel, Daniel Moscos. Daniel, thank you for waiting. Welcome to Chicago. How are you doing this morning? Doing well, doing well. Thank you all for having me. No problem. Listen, when the Cubs signed a 35-year-old lefty who was a number four overall pick in the 2007 draft, I wondered how many innings you had left. So how many innings do you have left? <laughs> uh, you know, it would take some uh, some off offseason conditioning for sure, but I, I still got a couple miles in there. <laughs> Daniel, uh, explain to us exactly how the job is being designed for you and how you come in with uh, Tommy Hadovy and what areas do you think – uh, you will be concentrating on the most. We hear about pitch shaping. We hear about uh, you know using you know pitches and different grips. Tell us a little bit about where you think your concentration will be. Um, yeah, I mean you 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 definitely alluded to the to the right focus area. Um, I think I'm going to be tasked with a lot of pitch development type stuff. Um, it's something of you know had decent a decent track record with uh, dating back to my time at driveline where I was really uh, working in the pitch design lab. And so, um, you know, I think I'll, I'll see a very similar focus with the Cubs. You know, Daniel, I want to uh, look at your own experience and how it will frame the type of pitcher pitching coach that you will, will become or have already become. You were the fourth overall pick of the 2007 draft with the pirates. Things obviously didn't go like you might have anticipated the day you were drafted. That experience, and I think maybe struggling to the extent that you did as a player, how does that inform your your experience and your approach as a pitching coach? And in terms of being able to 
relate to what players might be going through as they struggle and knowing what may be going what may be inside their head and how to unlock whatever it is that's keeping them back um yeah i mean it's i think experience really really helps um i don't think that you have to have played to coach don't i you know i don't want to be thrown into that bucket either um because i think that you know there's different skill sets and you can bring a lot of different things to the table but i do think that having those experiences um, it's something that will really benefit me, especially as I've you know started to learn the new tenets of development, the leveraging of technology and the external feedback process and, and all of that. Um, you know, they're, they're tools that you add to your tool belt. And so the experience is, is something that I can definitely draw from, you know, especially for me. One of my biggest limiting factors was lack of a breaking ball or at least a consistent one. Um, and then, you know, I went up to driveline and all of a sudden with some time spent in the pitch design lab, I developed two separate breaking balls that were both, you know, pretty solid. Um, and, you know, so I just missed out on some of that development as a player. Um, and so, you know, now I, I want to make sure that the guys have access to all, all of those resources to, you know, see what their careers could be. Daniel Mosco is the assistant pitching coach for the Chicago Cubs joining us in inside the clubhouse for a few more minutes. Daniel, um, communicating with the modern player, you're still a very young man yourself. How essential is it to be able to communicate on the level that uh, a lot of young millennial types are used to getting communicated with? In, in other words, um, being able to communi- communicate with them and also repeating on a level where they're responding, how much of that is, goes into your coaching and how much of that is talked about among coaches these days when it comes to a teaching you know, the, the fundamental things that you want to teach them. Uh, I mean, I think that you just probably circled right to the maybe most important variable that there is. Um, everybody has data now. Everybody has technology. But how are you leveraging it and how are you delivering that information to the players and how are they receiving it and perceiving it, I think, is probably the the biggest dynamic that you have to hit on. Um, and I think that, you know, how you get comfortable with that is you have to get comfortable with your players. You have to get to know them. You have to build relationships there and know what makes them tick, how they process uh, information and deliver it in as close to a mode as, as you can for that person. It has to become very individualized because you're essentially speaking a bunch of different languages. You know, you're going to have your really, really intellectual guys um, and you can talk to them in complex terms and you're going to have some of the more simple guys that you need to deliver it in that method. Um, and then you, you talk about the, you know, the Latin population as well. You know, you got to be able to deliver it in Spanish too. Um, and you know, that's something that I pride uh, myself in is being able to communicate with no matter which language you're speaking, millennial, older, you know, gen, gen X or, um, you know, Latin, you got to be able to do it all. Was that something that was a priority for you before you wanted to embark in this coaching career? Is that something you worked on when you were a player or growing up or when you developed that ability to communicate in different languages? Was that something with this in mind? Um, you know, I think the, the different languages is just having spent time in a clubhouse and realizing that there's different personalities and you have to interact with, with guys in different ways. Um, it's not just like a cookie-cutter approach. Um, and then on the, the Spanish-speaking front, um, you know, I was fortunate to have taken some years of it in high school and at least established somewhat of a foundation. Um, but then it really took off for me when I played winter ball and then summer ball down in Mexico. Uh, and, you know, I was in a predominantly Spanish speaking clubhouse and, you know, you really have to adapt and, you know, it kind of just 
pushed me uh, on that like level of my development to you know personal development to to want to be better at speaking Spanish so that I could interact with those players and and now um, it's obviously something that's really necessary. Daniel, the pitching grip and uh, being able to manipulate a ball and be able to hold on to it as long as you need to has uh, become something that's at the forefront of baseball over the last five or six years. A Major League Baseball banning certain type of tack that you can put on a baseball and now uh, trying to formulate their own baseball that has tack on it for use. Can you explain the importance of that tech being on a baseball and uh, being able to manipulate all these uh, grips and all the, the way that people like yourself are teaching uh, different grips and spin rate right now? Uh, yeah, well, that last piece is the most important variable when it, when it comes to tech is, is the spin rate. You're, you're looking to up RPMs, which, you know, RPMs is what generates movement, um, you know, and then, you, you know, wrist position will dictate mostly the direction that's going uh, to move in. And so if you can increase RPMs, you can probably increase overall movement, which is uh, shown to be beneficial from the, the pitch design front. Um, and so now with loss of tack, or, you know, if, if we get to a, you know, universally pre-tacked baseball, um, you know, what you're, what you're looking for is leverage on the ball, um, you know, and so you put it on the pads of the finger so that you can best leverage the baseball, which will then help you theoretically generate more spin. All right, Daniel, so we know probably based on listening to you and just based on your resume what the Cubs saw in you and wanted to bring into their organization. But as you sat out there and you kind of surveyed your options, you looked around Major League Baseball, what about the Cubs and specifically their approach to pitching impressed you? What are they doing right in your mind that maybe not other teams or maybe other teams aren't doing as well? Um, so we will actually have to go back, uh, you know, a little bit over two years ago. Um when I, before I took the job with the Yankees, um, I actually heavily interviewed with the Cubs, um, and they, they became one of my finalists um, to take a job as a minor league pitching coach. And so p- through that interview process, uh, you know, it was very well laid out what the direction of the pitching department is going to be, um, especially on the minor league side, um, you know, where they want to head in, the direction they want to head in. Um, and I know the people that they have in place. And, you know, the people I interviewed most with uh, – the first person would be Craig Breslow. Very, very impressive, brilliantly smart. Um, and I love his direction, love his passion for the pitching department. Um, and then a former colleague of mine, Casey Jacobson, is one of the pitching coordinators. Um, and so, you know, I, I know his uh, direction he wants to head in. It aligns with my vision as well. And um, so it just, you know, I was really impressed with them the first time around. And so when they, they came back two years from now, I saw that they had, you know, followed through on their agenda to to push development at the minor league level um, which is really really exciting and hopefully we can keep that you know can continuity up to the big league level and continue to develop at the big league level as well as the strike zone uh changes as swings change uh more importantly daniel do pitches that were not wanting to be used for instance, uh, a two-seam fastball, which many pitchers were pushed away from because of launch angle for a long period of time. Does that now, with uh, with certain pitchers, especially with, with, with great velocity, does that pitch now become more important again in baseball as some of the hitting techniques have changed and gone away from launch angle? 
Um, I mean, I, I think that you'll see constant kind of adaptations and little like miniature eras, if you will. Um, you know, where you see a, a developmental approach change on the hitting side. And so you see uh, pitching adjust and adapt to that or vice versa. You see um, pitching start to prioritize a, a particular thing. And then you see the hitting approach adjust because of that. So I think you'll see this cat and mouse game like that go back and forth. Um, and so I think it'll just kind of be a constant adapting process um, that's dependent upon just what's prioritized at that time. Um, you know, on the two seam fastball front for, you know, you want some of my insight on that. Um, I think really what we've gone towards is just looking for the elite versions of a particular pitch. Um, and so I think what we found out is there was probably a lot of guys that were really just throwing average two seam fastballs that don't play out as well as maybe the average four seam fastball. And so, you know, now you're, you're seeing less guys throw them because they're just looking for the best version of whatever fastball that they feature. Um, so, you know, the, unfortunately, and the two-seam fastballs just died off a little bit, I think, because of that. So, Daniel, we know that, you know, you and Tommy Howe to be the pitching coach will be working with a collection of, of young, talented pitchers in the Cubs system. you got guys at the major league level, Keegan Thompson, Justin Steele, Adbert Alzali, who are ready for that next step. You got guys at the minor league level. We've seen, you know, Caleb Killian have a good uh, a fall league. Anderson Espinoza, Braylon Marquez, guys with promise. How would you assess overall the young pitching depth in the Cubs organization right now? Oh, I think that's why I'm probably so excited about this. Is we're ready to see that that wave of prospects really start to have a chance to establish themselves. Um, you know, there are definitely some some really young, exciting arms um, that. Cubs fans are going to get to know over the next couple of years. And, um, you know, it's just going to be really exciting to, to be a part of their development and hopefully their establishment in the big leagues. Speaking of that, and uh, by the way, David and I really uh, appreciate uh, you taking the time out today and getting to know us. And uh, again, welcome to Chicago. I know everybody's anticipating your arrival here to help out. When you look at uh, Kyle Hendricks and, and you, you see um, – teams adjust to him and the type of season he had last year. How excited are you to get with a veteran like him or Mills and to be able to maybe add some depth to some of their pitches uh, that uh, have become uh, pretty predictable uh, for a lot of teams after facing him for uh, many years, regardless of the the talent he has and the uh, pitch ability, um, veteran pitchers can certainly prove their pitchers pitches with uh with help from somebody like yourself i'm sure it's it's really exciting especially when you get some of those you know those veteran guys who do have a routine established um you know as long as they receive a little bit of guidance on you know how they can fine-tune and sharpen something here or there you know it's not about it overhauling a pitch it's just about trying to make it the best version of itself um you know so in that in that light, we're looking more at like pitch optimization as opposed to a, a true pitch design where you're trying to create something new. And, you know, those guys have had success. So, you know, that's, it's something that's important to build on that. And then, you know, like I said, just optimize what they feature to, uh, to make it the best version and, and go from there. So, Daniel, we'll let you go because I know you have a big day of preparation for the Clemson-South Carolina game tonight. Uh, is that something you still <laughs> spend some time investing in every, every – uh autumn saturday uh, oh of course i'm a, a huge football fan um 
there's not many games, uh, Clemson football that I do miss, uh, you know, maybe at the, the tail end of the baseball season when football, there's some football overlap. I might miss a game or two, but usually I'm, I'm right in front of the TV or, or even, uh, making the trip up to Clemson to go see it. So, uh, big, big football fan, big day today, obviously not the season that Clemson was expecting to have or hoping to have, but, um, they can still finish on a, on a really high note by beating their rival. Well, enjoy the game, and thank you so much for your time, and best of luck. Look forward to meeting you in person. Of course. Thank you all for having me. This was a blast. Um, look forward to, to interacting in person as well. Daniel Moscos, the Cubs' new assistant pitching coach here on Inside the Clubhouse, Bruce Levine, David Haw. When we come back, Bruce gets to vote in the Hall of Fame this year, and I will talk about the ballots that we both received in the mail this week. Next on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. Everybody up here at U.S. Cellular. Sox five runs, six hits. The two one to Bartlett. Swing shot to short. Ramirez has it, throws. Burley picks the perfect game. His second no hitter. He now hits the Tampa Bay Rays. People going crazy here at US Cellular. He's mobbed by his teammates. A perfecto. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. Bruce Levine, David Haw until 11 o'clock, 1030 today. Ohio State, Michigan coming up here on the score. Bruce, that was a highlight from Mark Burley, and thank you for that highlight because it's a reminder. Mark Burley's on the Hall of Fame ballot that went out this week. We have until the end of December to fill them out. This is your first year doing so. How, how are you looking forward to this task? And it is a, a task, a lot of research involved, but it is a lot of fun as well. I'm filling out a ballot again. Looking forward to getting to that this year. That's more of a show than a segment, Bruce. But quickly, how are you feeling when you when you look at the names on that list? I'm I'm honored, but it's a daunting task because I keep going up and back on the steroids guys, and uh, I've I've asked other Hall of Famers who were in there for some of their input before I make my decision, and and they're all over the place. Some of them uh, have told me, well, Bonds and Clemens were already Hall of Famers before they started uh, using steroids, you should go ahead and vote for them because they were great players before that. At the same time, they cheated, okay? It's going to be right. the same conversation uh, 10 years from now when Jose Altuve is uh, being looked at as a Hall of Famer, and they're going to say, well, he didn't do steroids, but for a certain amount of years during his career, he certainly cheated, and the numbers might be skewed because of that. So... We're, we're asked to be um, um, be able to read minds and know when people started cheating when they didn't and how that applies to whether we should vote for them to go into this museum or not. Um, it, it's the most important Hall of Fame in all of sports. Um, less than 1% have ever gotten in it. Uh, it, it creates the most uh, in, interest and conversation of any sports Hall of Fame. And uh, I take it tremendously uh, in a serious way, but I find it to be daunting. Bonds, Clemens, Sosa, obviously those are the names that you, when you talk about the taint and the scandal. This Ramirez. Year, though, the first, you know, but now, yeah. now you have yeah, A-Rod and David Ortiz. You know, they're going on the yeah, ballot what for do the you, first time. What do you do with A-Rod, for example? Um, do you consider him doing – did he do steroids his entire career? Is, is that the assumption? Or did he do it uh, toward the end to stay at a level that almost gave him 700 home runs, made him uh, one of the great players in the history of the game? 
really difficult. And it's difficult because every voter is going to have their own code that they follow and their own set of circumstances. It's so arbitrary from voter to voter, from era to era, and I think that makes it difficult. You can't have a Hall of Fame, I think, without it, it, with without those names and those people in it. But I think it's a wing that may be a, a steroid era type well, of uh, tribute. But I don't know how you do that either. Because even more importantly now, David, with mm-hmm. the way that um, that uh, baseball has taken to gambling and the advertising for it, right? Uh, uh, it, it, it skews your idea about Pete Rose. We know he's he's done some disgusting things. He certainly doesn't deserve to be recognized because of some of the off-field stuff. But uh, is, is that gambling now, is that the hypocrisy that baseball has to face now when it comes to Pete Rose? We need to take an entire show, or at least a big part of one show in December, to well, look at all these we'll, issues and to litigate we'll have some Pete of these on. things. <laughs> we'll, we'll have Pete on. We should have we should have Pete yep. on. That's not a bad idea. If you can book Pete Rose, I think we'll find the time to talk to Pete Rose. That would be a fun conversation to have, Bruce. you got names like Mark Burley still on there to be considered. you got other names that are deserving. And it's going to be something that we continue to discuss. But next, we've got to shift gears. We've got to change the subject. We've got to find out who might be Chicago-bound, our favorite new segment here on Inside the Clubhouse. Keep with us. Bruce Levine, David Haw. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 